Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. I'd like to welcome my two listeners and a dog back. And if there's any new listeners out there, we really appreciate you. I am your host, Reverend Mike, and you are listening to Tales of Glory. Today on Tales of Glory, we're going to look at the book of Exodus with the supernatural and battling the occult and how God taught us to really battle the occult out there. And we'll be looking at Exodus chapters 1 through 2. We'll actually be going through a lot of Exodus in the coming days um, here on Tales of Glory because you probably guessed I'm probably working on another writing project. And there's a lot of research, but it's a lot of cool stuff that comes up to the research that I want to just kind of give you guys a preview of and just put it out here on the podcast, you know, a little sharing here. So here we go. Today we're looking at Exodus chapters 1 through 2, and we're looking at spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. Again, I'm your host, and if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify, I have my pedigree up there. I'm the missionary with the microphone. I'm CEO of M16 Ministries. We are spiritual warfare, prophetic evangelism, and um, uh, street ministry ministry out there. I worked with Night Strike in San Francisco with Bob Johnson from 2006 to 2016. When Bob moved on, he probably already been with it for 20 years. Um, gave me the reins of Night Strike in 2009. I'm in spiritual warfare ministry, which includes both deliverance, liberation prayers, and the extreme stand of exorcism. And I've worked with ritual abuse survivors, probably 100 cases of those from 2006 to present. Um, I was also a pastor for Remnant Church. We worked with survivors. Um, and I'm also a, an author and a speaker. You probably read my book, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare, and the new one, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. I'm a missionary in spiritual warfare. I've been to Ethiopia, Guyana, Haiti, Vietnam, Cambodia. And those of you listening here all the time, go, hey, we've heard that, Mike. Okay, so whew, let's push it off this side here. So what are we doing today, Mike? Let's do a little introduction here to the book of Exodus and battling the occult. Usually when things get on my radar, I'm always looking at how um, God taught us to battle the occult. And a lot of things we know about the occult don't come from watching ghost adventures, don't come from deliverance ministers, where I bind the demon of this, I bind the spirit of that, I renounce, repent, all the way down the line for three hours. How did God handle it in the Bible? A lot of times God goes, hey, just do this, wait for my instructions, and I'll tell you when to whack that thing in the face. And that's basically how the Old Testament went. And we cover a lot of the occult, and a lot of witchcraft, and a lot of really strange things here in the Old Testament that we just seem to glean over. And I think the book of Exodus is a really good selection of how to do this. So, the Old Testament paints a picture of God's supernatural unseen realm. To coin uh, Michael Heiser's, but that's, that's the best way to, to, uh, to paint the picture, right? It's God's unseen realm. What's going on in the background? We don't see it. God instructed in the Old Testament how to battle witchcraft and the evil Elohim, the sons of God, who became wicked rulers and wanted to be worshipped. If this is new to you, hold on. It shouldn't be. Some of the people who have been listening to Tales of Glory know what I'm talking about and where I'm going. Many times the story of Exodus and the gods in this story are depicted as just some weird religion. God was mocking and violently correcting Pharaoh for believing in it. Right? I'm just going to go back to the basic, you know, it's a... The Prince of Egypt cartoon what was that one with um, by Steven Spielberg. It was excellent. He depicted it, but then again, we had this picture too that God was just beating up on Pharaoh and kind of bullying him, you know. And like God, just let up. What's going on here? We're gonna find out what it was because these just weren't some weird gods that were non-existent that they were worshiping. These were actually real gods, and it's called out in the Book of Exodus as we move along. 
These were the Elohim. The Elohim are found where? Yep, exactly. From this perspective, our God appears as unjust and bitter towards Pharaoh. This is the modern church perspective, right? Why, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? You know, I, I'm only repeating this because I hear this a lot. You know, it was, it was kind of mean of God. You do that to harden Pharaoh's heart. We're going to find out why God did this and who Pharaoh thought he was as we move through the book of Exodus in the text. A lot of good stuff. Ancient Egypt, Egyptology is engrossed in heavy witchcraft and dark occult magic. And we're going to see this. And this is what was going on. So we're also going to look at the second temple Hebrew demonology and what they knew these Egyptian gods were. They knew they were the Elohim, the wicked sons of God who ruled unjustly and were given the territory when God divided the nations at Babylon. Remember, God divorced the nations at Babylon. He divided them out among the sons of God, the Elohim. Some Elohim became wicked rulers. This is back in Genesis 11 and Deuteronomy 32, 8. So if you don't know what I'm referring to, you may want to pick up my book. I'm not here to plug this because I'm referring back to a lot of material I established here in um, this work. Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. The Serpent, Divine Council, and Regional Spirits. A lot of the stuff that was established in this book and this writing I did is going to come into play here in the book of Exodus and throughout a lot of the Old Testament. So again, a lot of what I'll be discussing in Exodus will be explained in my book. I'll take time to explain it here to help bring you guys up to speed. It's a must-have for your spiritual warfare library. Many contemporary Christian books on deliverance have their demonology completely wrong. The angelology and demonology is wrong in these books. They, they cookie-cut. I'm using that term again. They copy each other. They do sermons off each other. And nobody bothered to do the research on dissertations. What did the Near East ancient you know, religious beliefs look like? What was going on? And what did the Second Temple Hebrews believe? The story differs, and we'll cover some of that here as we move along through the book of Exodus. Again, if you want to jumpstart, go pick up my book, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. That's going to open your eyes into what demonology and cosmology and angelology looks like in the Old Testament and what Paul knew, what, what Jesus was quoting, what Peter was quoting, what John was quoting in Revelation. It's an eye-opener. Most of all, we're going to look at God and the supernatural. We're going to see the supernatural God in the book of Exodus and how God moves. We're going to see Jesus in the book of Exodus. Right? What? I need to cover this here because I actually went through something that was painful to me that most of you people know through the story. Um, if you listen to Tales of Glory, I actually had one of my ministers renounce their faith. And they worked me through some miracles and through some harsh exorcisms and through some um, helping ritual abuse survivors, you know, get integrated. And then all of a sudden the demons got into them and just kind of chatter, 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 chatter and said, well, God can't be real if he's not in the Old Testament. And this is what this individual believed. Jesus is in the Old Testament and we're going to see it here. We'll see what the writer of the book of Jude was referring to in verses 5 through 7 of the book of Jude. And that writes, verse 5, and I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. We're talking about the Exodus here. Verse 6, And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, if you read the book Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1-11, through 11, you know exactly what that verse is talking about here. 
because not covered in any deliverance books and it's off base in every deliverance book here. Never covered. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal life. So that's the New Testament. And we have verse 5 of the book of Jude pointing back to Jesus delivering the people out of Egypt. Gosh, Mike, where's Jesus in the book of Exodus? Well, we're going to see it as we move along. He is there. Very fascinating stuff here. Jesus shows up. So let's dive in. The book of Exodus, chapter 1. Israel increases greatly in Egypt. Verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Okay, let's pause here and discuss some notes on what we've read so far in Exodus 1 verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. All right, we're establishing something here. The writer is setting up the book of Exodus as a continuation of the book of Genesis. So the author of Exodus wants you to say, hey, this happens, and as I do my opening chapter, my openers, it's going to reflect back and forth between Jacob, Joseph, and the people already in Egypt after what happened in the last chapters of Genesis. Jacob establishes the promise of Abraham. The sons of Israel established the original group from the book of Genesis for a new Edenic plan. What's the Edenic plan? Again, go back and look at it. It's in Genesis 1. And it keeps getting fallen apart by man, man doing his own thing, and God trying to rebuild it. So here again, God is coming in and starting his new Edenic plan again with man. His covenant with man, his relationship with man is the Edenic plan. What does that look like? The genealogy makes this continuation of the book of Genesis. That's why the genealogy is there. Hey, remember these people from the previous couple chapters of Genesis? Well, this is what it looks like as they, they, they move forward here. We have the 12 tribes of Israel, the descendants of Jacob. So in Hebrew, it was the seed in Hebrew, right? We keep hearing about the seed of the woman. Here we go again, the seed of the woman, the seed of Jacob, right? To multiply and go after evil stuff and, and rebuild God's Edenic vision. So descendants are the seed of, of Jacob were 70 people. 70 is an interesting number to us because 70 nations were divorced by God at Babylon in Genesis 1 through 11. So we have 70 people, 70 nations. What's going on here? So let's dive back in to verse 6 of Exodus 1. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So again, we're having the um, Abrahamic blessing here, right? They were fruitful and multiplied. That's what's going on in this, that verse. So let's dive back in. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Verse 10. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Verse 11, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities. 
Pitham and Ramses. Okay, we'll put a pause here. So let's go back and look at Genesis 41, verse 45. Verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage to a Zenath, a high priestess, the daughter of Potephra, priest of On, was Heliopolis in Egypt as his wife. So Joseph went over the land of Egypt to inspect and govern it. That's what they're referring back to here, right? Joseph was remembered of the guy that saved Egypt by building the storehouses and interpreting a dream. So let's move on. So verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. 14. And they made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So we'll branch out here and take a look at what's happening here. So we have the fulfillment of Joseph's dream from Genesis 28, 14. And that reads, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall be spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That was Joseph's dream, right? Genesis 28, 14. And that's what's happening in um, Exodus 1 through 12. The image of the mortar and brick is from Genesis 11. The language paints a picture that Egypt is a new Babylon, right? We saw mortar and brick terms being used back in Genesis 11. So the author of Exodus is trying to do this parallelism now. Now we're, we're out of the, the Babylon, but the new Babylon, the chaos is here in Egypt with us. Their lives are bitter and chaos imagery of Babylon is taking place here. So back to Exodus 1 verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pira, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. Okay, so something here was interesting that came in handy. I think it was Michael Heiser brought it up, but it was, it was cool to do the, look at the words in Hebrew and what was going on with the birth stool. The birthstool idiom is for a potter's wheel. Same Hebrew word is used in Jeremiah 18.3 for potter's wheel. So digging deeper, Michael Heiser, and taking a look at this for yourself and Logo software. I have this up here. So Exodus 1.16, the birthstool, we have the word vanim, the Hebrew word vanim for birthstool. And that is in Exodus 1.16. So the midwives went to the, the birth stool. It was vanim. But it's actually the Hebrew word for potter's wheel. Interesting. Let's take a look at Jeremiah 18.3 if you're following on the video here. I circled it. Wheel. Hebrew word vanim. He was working at his wheel and the vessel he was. So right? It's, that's the, the potter's wheel. So the Birthstool is the potter's wheel. What's going on with this connection here? There's an idiom here that we skip over. What is going on? Because it's pretty important and it's interesting. It's an interesting side note of what the midwives were asked to do and what was going on in Egyptology and what they knew about anatomy. It, it kind of leaps out here, but in a very subtle way. So let me explain. So in this context, the potter's wheel to the Hebrews was an Egyptian idiom regarding the Egyptian god Kanum. Kanum in Egyptian religion had a hand in conception. 
at conception, Canum had his hand on the creation of the child in the womb. So he was working on the potter's wheel, conceiving the child in the womb, right? That's what's going on here. So at the birth stool, at the potter's wheel, Pharaoh was asking the midwives to perform a prenatal examination. That's the idiom. And determine the sex of the child. During this examination, if it was a male, they were to abort it using rituals and potions. I did this digging down into PhD dissertations. They had rituals and potions for this. They pretty much had rituals and potions for everything. Remember, this is a this is a witchcraft society. But the midwives dodges bullet and said they were getting there too late for the examination that children were being born, right? The, the midwives are kind of trying to dodge this thing, not having to abort fetuses. So the pharaoh moved to stage two and ordered the newborn males to be drowned, right? That's how he handled it. So it's interesting here. In a witchcraft society, a dark society, they're already performing abortions. What, this is about, what, three, four thousand years ago, right? Fascinating stuff. Things don't change. We're still doing it today, right? So it wasn't under Moloch. It was under Kanum, right? And um, some other Egyptology gods. And again, who are these gods? They are the Elohim, the wicked rulers that were assigned Egypt. They weren't supposed to be doing this sort of stuff, and they were. And that's what God's going to butt heads with when he fights with Pharaoh and fights with these spirits. These gods aren't just some New Age religion, you know, they, they, they put their faith into blindly. There was some dark stuff going on here, and the Elohims were giving them power through their worship. And we'll see this with the uh, Jannies and Jambres when they show up on the scene, right, with uh, Pharaoh's uh, magicians. They were able to do some dark stuff. So back to Exodus 1, verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? Verse 19, the midwife, verse 19, the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, but they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Verse 20, So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. So let's have discussion notes here on Exodus 1, 19 through 20. The babies were being born before the prenatal exam, right? So the midwives were kind of dilly-dallying and delaying to make sure that the, the, the Hebrew women were having time to give birth. Because the midwives obeyed Yahweh, he gave them families and blessed them. So God blessed their actions for running interference with this abortion process. Verse 21, And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into denial but you'll let every daughter live. Exodus 2, the birth of Moses. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his, as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river. Four, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the bathe at the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When the Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he stayed by a well. So a couple of things here. We see that in Exodus 2.15, the land of Midian, remember who the Midianites were. The Midianites purchased Joseph as a slave from his brother back in Genesis. The land of Midian ties Exodus back to Genesis, right? We have the Midianites showing back up again, and now here Moses is out with the Midianites. So there's more parallelism and there's more continuity here in the story. That's who the Midianites were. They surface again. Moses flees to Midian. Verse 16. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Rule, he said, How is it you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. In verse 21, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up from God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered this covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So that's the end of chapter 2 of Exodus. So again, here's some closing thoughts as we wrap this up. Exodus is a continuation of the book of Genesis, right? We want to see the continuity carried over from what went on in Egypt with Joseph his family, the Jacob, the sons of Jacob, the, the 12 tribes, and so forth. And the sons of Israel, Jacob, now inhabit Egypt. They have multiplied in Egypt, right? That's the Abrahamic blessing. Yahweh brings Moses into the picture to establish the Edenic vision of his relationship with the Hebrews, post-Genesis 11 in Babylon. Okay, we're on to the portion now of spiritual exercise. Contemplative reading on Exodus 2, 1 through 10. So what do we got here, Mac? Now, for today's spiritual exercise, we're going to do a contemplative reading on Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 
and we're do here when we do contemplative reading is we're just going to connect with Jesus, right? We're trying we're trying to learn how to pray here. We're learning how to pray, learning how to have the Holy Spirit help us interpret Scripture. So I want you to do right now if you're in a spot just to relax and just connect with God and say, you know, use our usual one, yeah, be still and know that I'm God, right? Just sit and still your heart and just let your mind kind of clear. Just, we're not we're not purging any thoughts out. We're just closing thoughts down so we relax, right? It's more relaxation. As we're trying to connect with God and we're sitting in our easy chair or you're sitting in your favorite spot outside or something and just listening or you're sitting in your car right now in a parking lot or somewhere just listening to the podcast, we're just relaxing, relaxing our mind because we're going to still ourselves and we're going to connect with the presence of God. So be still and know that I'm God and just, just relax. And Jesus, we want you to connect with us, God. Jesus, we're just asking you just to still our mind and let us feel your presence and just bring order to our chaos just like you brought order to the chaos in Egypt we ask you to bring order to our chaos in a day today and give us peace as we still our mind and listen and as we listen to the reading of your word about the birth of Moses I just want you to sit there and relax and pretend like you're there pretend like you're watching this play out like a movie as I read these words and just have Jesus with you sitting there and you guys are just sitting there watching us. Maybe you're in some sort of park bench and, you, and you're in this vision here and you two of you are sitting together just relaxing and watching this play out as I read the words. Now let's jump in. The birth of Moses. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that this, he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him for a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. So Jesus, can you just show us where you were in the situation? Show us how you directed Pharaoh's daughter to come down and bathe the river at this time, when Moses was being put in the river, so he wouldn't spend much time in the water. He was just there shortly to be delivered by you into Pharaoh's daughter, so he would be spared, spared the butchering, spared the abortion, spared the destruction of the male children. And how you honored the family who went through with this, who went against Pharaoh's rules and stayed true to you, God. You honored them. Although Moses' mom had to give him up to you, she consecrated him to you, right? She she was paid her wages to nurse him and hand him over to Pharaoh's daughter as a child. This has been hard for her as a mom, but she knew. She knew from you that you needed this young man. You needed to raise this young man for what he becomes someday. And Jesus, was, this whole thing, verses, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, was all your plan. 
You delivered us from Egypt. You delivered the Israelites from Egypt, God. And this was the start of it. You had your hand in it all the way through, all part of your plan. And we thank you, Jesus, that maybe somebody out there right now is having a hard time. Maybe they need delivered from something. Maybe they delivered from darkness. Maybe witchcraft is attacking them right now, God. And just as the witchcraft was attacking the, the, the slaves and the pharaohs, you know, was using his, his witches. We just ask you, God, just to show us how we could be still and you fight for us. You tell us when to raise our arm or when to throw the rod down and go against witchcraft. And how the battle is what you fight for us. And sometimes we relax in your peace and your presence. You're the one that goes forward and fights for us. And that's how witchcraft is fought. It's fought in our prayer rooms. It's fought as we sit and still ourselves with you, God. We don't have to keep binding this, binding that, binding this, binding that. We're taking on witchcraft. It's something darkness come from the heavenly realms we have an authority over. So we have to appeal to you. And we don't have to constantly keep going, you know, bind this, bind that. It's just times like now when we fight witchcraft, we just get to sit in your peace with you, Jesus, like we're doing now. We sit and be with peace with you because like here, we didn't know what the plan you had for Moses. You already had a plan for him. We don't know what your plan is to destroy the witchcraft or whatever is coming against a person from the enemy today that you can handle it, you could deal with it for us. And we can just sit in your presence and get rest. You like it when we seek rest in you, God. And that's what we're doing now, God. We're seeking rest. And just as you bring the right people along, like you brought along Pharaoh's daughter, right? She went against her dad's will. And she rescued a Hebrew child. She knew it was a Hebrew child. She went against her father's will. And you know these people and who to call out, who to speak to. And you bring these people in to help deliver us. So if you're under attack right now, just sitting in his presence right now. Like I said, just imagine yourself on the park bench watching this play out. How God even called non-Christians to help save Moses. Non-believers. He'll do that. He'll bring people in. He knows how to orchestrate. He's the creator of the universe. And here you have Pharaoh's daughter, unknowingly or knowingly, submitted to what God wanted her to do. And we thank you, Jesus, that you orchestrate for us. You orchestrate the universe. You're in command. You're in charge. You create the universe. And these, even these high-level spiritual beings of witchcraft and stuff in the heavenly realms, they obey you too. They have to. And we just thank you in your presence today. And now i just like you guys just to kind of wake up, you know, come out of this a little bit. If you want to stay there longer, go ahead. Stay in his presence. I don't want to interrupt your presence if you're there with him now. That's in his presence. Just talk with him or just sit with him and... Maybe just hang out and just be quiet with one another. He likes that too. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your heart and we thank you for going to the cross for us because none of us were worthy. None of us are worthy of the price you paid for us and you did it for this person listening in right now. This person may be going through hard times right now. You gave your life for them and there is going to be victory no matter how dark the enemy is telling them to do things or hurt themselves or do something to themselves. There's always victory in Jesus. Just lean into him. Just quit listening to the demons. They're the ones, that you're hearing horrible stuff right now, you're listening to demons. If you're getting picked up, you're hearing good stuff and God's lifting you up, you're listening to God. That's how hearing God works. Bad from the devil, good from Jesus. That's how hearing God works. Tell the rest of the stuff to shut up. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. You're amazing. Love you so much, Jesus. So as we wrap up today, again, our few announcements. I'll be turning to Covert Prophetic Evangelism Ministry with Cindy McGill in 2023. I still need your help getting there. I said it's, 
and I know this economy has been horrible, guys. So um, I'm not begging for money. It's just if, if anybody could help, I'm, I'm pleading for you guys because it's. I think this is the lowest our ministry's ever been in funding. <laughs> We're like down to a few hundred. We used to have a huge war chest where we used to pay for counseling for people and stuff coming into us and everything. It's not there. It's just it's just been devastated through this economy. Um, yeah, it is what it is. I'm not going to make any political comments, but you know, as I record this today, today's a, isn't today election day? You go out and vote. Vote what's biblical. Don't vote what you think this person or that person. Vote what's biblical. And, and if this person goes against anything biblical, don't vote for them. Don't. That's how we do voting. That's how Christians do it. So anyhow, back to my, my thing. Um, yeah, we, we need help funding. We need help. You could send a donation. Um, M16 Ministries, 501c3. You can send donations to PayPal at m16ministries at gmail.com. That will help significantly. And also, we don't make a lot of money off books. It's just, it's I get books out there just to educate you people. But, it, you know, if you buy books, it helps me write more books because it just inspires me to produce more. So I have a field guide to spiritual warfare. I have the advanced guide to spiritual warfare, and I have cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. If you haven't read anything yet, I strongly recommend you order the newest book, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11, to go through the heavenly realms of what it looks like through Second Temple Hebrews, because that is the correct account of what it should be. You can find these books on www.afg number two sw.com it's on my um, YouTube rumble and um, Spotify videos you can see the, the slides there or you can go to a field guide to spiritual warfare.blogspot.com where this is hosted and you'll find the show notes for today um, for um, Exodus 1 through 2 and that will be posted there a field guide to spiritual warfare.blogspot.com you can also find me on a field guide to spiritual warfare Facebook page I host a page there. If you got questions, want to ask anything, come on over there. And or you know, sometimes these questions get produced into a new podcast for answering the questions. So I invite your comments. So again, thank you. Now go out and be a blessing and make good choices. We're signing off. Love you guys from the M16 remote bunker in the south. Here we checking out. Amen. God bless y'all. <laughs>